fiends and horror hounds. This is Brett from Dimension Z, joined as I always am by Greg of the Dead. How are you doing, man? I'm feeling good as a fan when I think I'm obsessed with something and I realize after watching this, no, I have a pretty healthy relationship with most things that I like. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like some things that like, am I obsessing over that a little too much? And it's like, oh, no, there's no one in my basement, so I'm fine. Yeah, so I was watching like, you know what? I'm doing okay. I have a you, healthy relationship with my fandoms. You might like every once in a while have a little bit of fun where you that's where you put the kiddie pool and the pillows where a Mr. Sestero might go one day. You'd never do it, but it's fun to like <laughs> fantasize. Dude, one day Greg Sestero's gonna know what we say about him, and I hope he realizes <laughs> the humor in the constant for some reason he's an almost episode re- reference. <laughs> Every episode on a horror fight. I hope he understands the joke one day if he ever finds out. I'm just such a huge fan. Then it's all coming back on you because it's only you. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, no, I'll have, to, I'll have to testify at the hearing, but I'm not going down for it. I thought it was jokes all these years. <laughs> Recovering Misery from 1990, a movie I've really enjoyed. I think I first saw this in elementary school where it would be like, one of the ones mom would put on all the time when like dad would go to work and then be like, okay, me and mom go watch movies today and misery would come on. And I remember being like little being like, yay. <laughs> I don't think I've ever watched misery before today. I've known misery. I've seen most of misery. Like as in it was on TV and I'd see right. it there. I never front to back misery before today. Really? Like, this was the first watch, like full on watch for me. Because I remember being like, you know, you're a kid and you run like you're watching a movie, but you're playing, too, and you're running around yeah, and exactly. doing stuff. This would be one that I would plant myself on the couch and just be like, like, wide-eyed. Like, back when I had cable and stuff, like, it'd be on TV, and I'd leave it on, but it's not like I'd just watch it. Like, nothing against it ever, and I already knew all the beats to it and everything. Oh, yeah. So this was actually fun sitting down front to back watching Misery. Good. I'm, I'm glad. Um... possibly there's because the stephen king movies there's like the shining or pet cemetery or misery i would even put up there and then there's like the langoliers there's definitely like two different sides of his movies of what you're getting because there's been so many this is a top tier one yeah and that's by no fault of stephen king or the source material to be honest it's just he's one of the most adapted authors like with the most adaptations, like to exist, of course there's going to be highs and lows. Of yeah. it, you know what I mean? There's just so many of them out there. They can't all be the shinings. So, but yeah, this does fall into the upper tier of it. I definitely do want to watch. I've never watched the Langoliers, but I want to watch it at some point. It's like time traveling Pac-Man things. that are chasing a plane that are, isn't going fast enough in time. <sighs> oh, that's fucking right about fucking cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> exactly uh, dude what you did the cocaine reference to drive this point home just look at the last one we i think we did if we didn't do one before after that but anyway maximum overdrive like compare oh. those two those are the <laughs> same like author source material so yeah there's huge difference in what you're getting for sure also um so directed and produced by rob reiner which anytime i hear i know like He's famous director man. He did, you know, Stand By Me is amazing. Princess Bride is my and my wife's like favorite movie together. Spinal Tap. Spinal Tap, tap sir. That yes, was okay. That. Okay. I was going to say, what are you waiting for? Get to Spinal Tap. 
but every single time i just think about the south park episode when he hates the people that smoke and he's eating cheeseburgers (laughs) (laughs) what are you doing smoking you're so unhealthy it's just like wiping sweat (laughs) yeah but yeah so this is a good one i'm excited to get into it are you ready to jump into this one yeah let's record this cock-a-doody podcast all right um dude i love that this is almost a two-person show and this could be a stage play like 100 percent. i'm surprised it probably has been turned into a stage play because it'd be so easy to do and how good would that be yeah because most of it's just the two of them but the movie's so good and their performances are so good you forget that when like the sheriff pops back up you're like oh yeah there's other people in this movie dude and it's almost all in one room you know what i mean like it doesn't even like use most of the house for most of the movie no no it's really and it's like i like all the little things with the house i know we'll get there but how careful he has to be with everything because around your house if something's moved like i'm like constantly staring at my desk if beetlejuice statue was moved i would know oh exactly all right so paul sheldon played by james Conn, finishes his next book and He smokes a cigarette, he lights it with a match, pours some champagne to celebrate by himself at this lodge he's staying at. He lights the cigarette, like the match, in the coolest way, where he does that thing where he flicks his thumb. Dude, I'm so bad at matches. I will wait five matches before I get a good strike on him. I can't do it on the book, let alone being like, like Fonzie or something. And then he leaves to take the pages back he checks out of the lodge he's staying at you know a lot of authors and some bands and stuff do that they have like the place they go to to work on their next thing like you know just to get away from your normal everyday life so you can focus on it and everything yeah and it starts snowing pretty bad and then he ends up crashing his car good car crash rolls down the hill a bunch of times and he's laying there he's out and a believable car crash. It's not like one of these ones where he goes flying off a cliff and now he's like, he's lived somehow. It's like, no, it's snowy. He kind of goes off the embankment. He flips a couple of times, like you said. Like, he's kind of knocked out, kind of conscious. Like, it's that in and out type of thing. Yeah, it's not the Sergeant Kabuki Man car crash. <laughs> Sergeant Kabuki Man! Every single time. <laughs> right after the crash, we have a flashback to him talking to his publisher, his agent, and he killed his most popular character in his last book. And that's not going to be a good thing, but he's done with this misery series. He wrote, he can't stand it anymore. Yeah. It's like how many, and we've run into this of, cause we're fans of many different writers and podcasters and stuff of, they have a bit or like a character or something that like everybody loves, but they just hate doing. And then eventually like it kind of disappears. Like how long is it? How long has it been since you heard, uh, Detective Popcorn from Henry Zabrowski. Dude, the big one. Uh, you remember Radiohead? I've heard of them. The one song anyone would know by them is Creep. And oh, right. right when that song blew up, they're like, we're not playing that song. We don't want to be a one-hit wonder. Like, fuck you! That's the whole reason anyone gives a shit besides hipsters about Radiohead. Well, it's like Nirvana did that with Smells Like Teen Spirit, but they did in like a troll way. That's going to cost us some reviews, me saying that, isn't it? Sorry. I don't, hey, I am said I just kind of know the band name, so I don't care. <laughs> but if Nirvana would do it in like a troll way of they would like play it badly or like half yeah. of it. <laughs> but he's pulled from the car, crowbarred open and everything, given CPR and drug away. 
wakes up, he's coming to and everything in the house, and hears, I'm your number one fan, there's nothing to worry about, dude, just like the worst, uh, remember my name is Bruce, oh no, you're a fan, <laughs> that's what I was thinking right here. Yes, what I was thinking about this of, okay, so you try to put yourself in Annie Wilkes' shoes. I knew uh, this topic was coming, okay. Okay, so who is somebody that you loved for so long and adored all of their work and then all of a sudden they kill off the character and now he's laying in bed hi kevin smith i saw clerks three i was gonna say the game of thrones writers are fucked <laughs> oh yeah they're fucked no this is me finding kevin smith and it's like you're gonna rewrite clerks three spoiler alert that you can't kill dante dante is my misery but we meet Annie, played by Kathy Bates, and I want to say, incredibly played by Kathy Bates. Holy shit, does she seem so unhinged, and she just embodies this character in this movie. She's like, she's one of these types of actors, honestly both of them, her and James Caan, that we don't usually get in our movies that we're covering. No. Like, it's wild that we got this. And yeah, these two together in a horror movie, like you said, a lot of times they don't do horror movies, but they're amazing actors. And they it's just Kathy Bates chewing the scenery. Because I love where yeah. she goes from like wholesome, like kind of like mousy little like bookworm like woman to like rage and like, I'm going to fucking like slash the fuck out of you and I have a fucking sludge hammer to then like. I, she I'm won't just, say those words that you just said. She will not swear. No, cock a duty. Yes. Um, she's also a nurse and tells him he's been out for two days. And she's been taking care of him. We get the leg reveal here. He broke his arm and both of his legs in several places in the car crash. Yeah, like his uh, legs are shattered. Like, it's a really good um, prosthetic. Like, I like the makeup job they do on him because they look all, like, fucked up and swollen and stuff. But not comically. You know, it, like, looks, like, real. I have a theory, and I'm not sure, I didn't look it up, that those aren't his legs anyway. Because if you notice, like, all those leg shots are from his POV. So yeah. I think they just made two fake legs, set him on bed, and set the camera on him and everything. Because anytime it's him, his legs are covered and everything. That'd be the easiest thing, probably, to do. Yeah. Um, Marsha, his agent, calls the police about Paul in the town where the lodge is. And the police, he's like, well, do you want the sheriff or the lead deputy? Because I'm both of them. My name's Buster. I love Buster <laughs> so much. Dude, every moment. And they know when to use them. They don't overdo the comic relief with them or and everything. But right when, like, okay, maybe, like, Kathy Bates and James Caan have been on our screens for so long. What else can they do without taking a break? They expertly switch to Buster. And I love this dude. Oh, it's great. Because, like, yeah, like you said, he pops in at the right time. I love he's, like, small-town sheriff. He's, like, this old man. Like, his wife is his, like, deputy kind of thing. Yes. And um, it's, like, he has nothing to do ever. This is such, like, a slow, small town. Because he says, so, she comes in. It's like, yeah, we got a phone call this morning. Oh, it must be pretty busy today. So, like, yep. I think he's just excited to have something to work on like this. Definitely. Um. She's shaving him at this point at home. Uh, Annie to, what's his name? Paul. Paul Sheldon, that's right. And asked about reading the new book that he's made. Like, that he just finished. And since she's been taking care of him and been hasn't been weird at all yet. Like, she's legit been, like, waiting hand and foot on him. Like, just this 
like godsend of a person if you're Paul in this situation. He's like, well, I don't let anyone read my work early except for the publisher, the editor, and someone who saved me from a frozen death, of course. It, this is also before the last Misery book has been published. So it's it's been published, but it's not like on the shelf yet because we yeah. haven't gotten the review of her reading Misery, the last Misery book or me seeing Clerks 3 being like, Clerks 2 was just so amazing. I can't wait to see what Dante and Randall's next adventure is. And then me coming into the room of like, what did you do? <laughs> uh, if we're going to take a quick tangent, Dante dying in Clerks 3 wasn't even the thing I hated the most. It was sad, dude. It broke my heart. I fucking cried. The thing that bothered me the most in Clerks 3 was Elias. I hated what they did with Elias. Yeah. It was so annoying the whole time. But that's Yeah, funny. that's... Yeah, I'll I cut this anyway, because what the fuck? <laughs> no, there's, there's um, other than with Clerks 3. <laughs> yeah, just talk about Clerks 3. Fuck it. No. <laughs> um, But he lets her read it, and... She's feeding him soup later, and she doesn't like the swearing in the book at all. He's like, well, they're slum kids. This is what people talk like to People do not talk like this. Oh, what do you want me to say? F this? F that? What the cock is that? Like, she will not swear to save her life in this movie, which makes it all the more unnerving, if you ask me. Yeah, that she's, like, so worked up, and especially what we learn about her later, like, her whole history. But, yeah, the fact of, like, she draws the line of she won't say, like, fuck. Yes. Um, she freaks out and then apologizes and I love you, Paul. And he just kind of gives that like nervous, like, <laughs> uh, and she's like, I mean, I love your work and your mind. He's like, thanks. Like I'm at this point. Like she has a special like edition of his book with a vibrator in it. She just holds against herself every night. Just, <laughs> <laughs> Dude, this is what people were like when those Fifty Shades of Grey books came out. Like, all, like, the suburban moms (laughs) and shit were like this, remember? Like, they were, like, fucking obsessed about those books. I remember hearing stories of theaters and the aftermath and cucumbers and things. Oh, yeah. But Buster shows up at the lodge and just checking. Everything seemed normal when he left. He did his normal finish-the-book routine where we also check, yeah, he orders a bottle of champagne and then checks out well they're like he ordered right before he checks out he always orders a bottle of champagne and drinks all of it and then he drives away in his, <laughs> in his sports car mustang that's horrible on winter roads but he has to bring that car also if there's a blizzard that he didn't know about well it wasn't snowing that bad when he left if you noticed but you, I know nothing about cars. I know a car like that is not going to do well in the snow. I don't. I honestly don't know. I have no idea. It's not made for it. But this is where Buster and his wife slash deputy are driving the police jeep. It's still really snowy here and everything, but the jeep goes through, and they're searching. They find a broken tree. Buster's actually a good detective for this small town cop who sees no action. No, he is great, because how many times is it fucking killer clowns from outer space cop? Of He's getting call after call of, like, please, there's murders, there's, like, rampage all throughout the town. He's like, huh, whole town's playing a prank on me. This sheriff sees a broken tree branch, and even his wife deputy is like, well, it could have been the snow. He's like, yeah, it could have been the snow, could have been a rotten branch, could have been a bunch of things. And then he goes, like, wading down into the snow, and he sinks, like, way too far. And his wife's like, do you need help? He's like, what do you think? (laughs) Like, I love their back and forth. 
He says, no, I'm enjoying myself. Thank you. <laughs> so close to the car. Because then, like, he, like, goes yep. walking back up the bank and we see the tire kind of sticking out. If he would have went, like, three more feet, he would have seen it. Like, that's yeah. just, uh. But Annie comes back home with the new book. She has the final misery book. She doesn't know it's the final misery book yet, though. And she's so excited. And But he's like, but wait, you drove, right? She's right. Like, oh, yeah, only the road to town was open. And she goes, yeah, the road to the hospital, which is probably going to be one of the first roads they would like try to make open because hospitals are important. No, the hospital, you still can't get to it. But I got to the bookstore to buy a book. Also, being Paul Sheldon, you know what's inside this book and you know who you're dealing with. I don't think he knows it's going to, he doesn't know it's going to go to the extreme it's going to. But, you know, he has to be like, fuck, God damn it fucking timing and i have to meet my biggest fan who just loves misery so much i'm gonna fucking kill her <laughs> yeah but i don't think you would expect this you know what i mean no but you'd be like oh this is kind of awkward like that's what i would be thinking like this is gonna be kind of because you know she's gonna probably come in and be like why'd you do that <laughs> she also says she called the hospital but he's like oh so the phones are back up he goes oh well not the phone at home so it's just all too convenient. I feel like this is where you'd be suspicious, though, with this kind of shit. Yeah, because she keeps being like, I went into town. Oh, but uh, we can't get to the hospital. Oh, I did make a phone call, but oh, the phone here doesn't work. I don't think she even has a phone. No. Uh, well, she has a gutted phone. Yeah, like a so prop like phone. Later. Yeah. Um, She's reading the book. She loves it. We're introduced to her pig, Misery, which I won't <laughs> lie, dude. If I was injured and stuck in this room... This would be the highlight of my day. I would legit be stoked about this. Oh my god, I saw the piggy come in, and he's so cute. And then he hops up on the bed like, give me pets. And the pig has a collar on. He's the cute, like, I love bacon, and I'll eat pork and stuff, but pigs are just so cute. You have to, like, yeah. not think about it. Because if you do, like, I like bacon too much. <laughs> that would be the highlight of my day, though, if I was stuck here. By the way, there's a TV in this house. Yeah. I just feel like... If the dude is in this situation, you could at least get, put the TV in his room. Like, holy shit. He doesn't have books. He doesn't no. have anything. All this dude has is empty room. I'm surprised he doesn't slip into madness more than he does. That would be my first, like, before anything, would be like, can I have a TV to watch? Because I'm bored. Worst case, like a radio, you know, anything for stimulation. Yeah. You know, like a book, a newspaper, holy shit, give them something. Oh, how close are we to DC and uh, K-Rock and everything? This is the good time of Howard Stern. I can get that on the radio. Yeah, like, I'm surprised they don't, like, delve into him and being in, like, solitary confinement, like, misery. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, that's definitely a different way. You could, Oh, that'd be interesting if they, like, remade it, if they dove into that kind of stuff. I'm surprised, like I said, that it wasn't touched on at all, hardly. But, yeah, because he's there for a long-ass time. He's there for so long, his legs heal. Yeah. Uh, later, she's talking to Paul about her husband leaving, and what got her through it was the misery books. So, at this point, like you said, he has to be like, oh shit, because our next scene is night. And she comes in and she goes, you dirty bird, how dare you? <laughs> and she's screaming at him because she just finally found out what happened it's like you can't do that to misery it's like she like he literally like killed this person that she likes 
she breaks like a stool on the bed right above him and everything. And she says, I think I better not be around you for a while. Yeah, you think? Yeah, please leave. <laughs> oh, this is also, this is where she like confesses, isn't it? Where she's yeah. like, I, no one knows about you. I didn't make any phone calls. No one knows you're here. You're locked with me. <laughs> and she goes, you better hope I'm fine. Cause if I die, you're going to die. Paul crawls out of bed. The door is locked from the other side. Next morning, she finds him and puts him back into bed and everything. And she says, I prayed real hard and God says he delivered you to me so I can show you the way. And like, I guess God really likes these books too and wants him to write more of them. Makes sense. Where she's like, you have to destroy this abomination. And then your next book is going to, you're going to bring misery back. And he's like, that's fine. I sent a copy to my publisher. You're like, there's a bunch of copies out there. Like this, not the, the new published copy. book, the new book that he wrote. Yeah, right. Yeah, the new book with all the cockadoody words in it. Yes, um, where he's trying to get away from misery, and she's like, Paul, I'm your biggest fan. I know you only ever make one copy because that's what uh, the first time you ever wrote a book because you didn't think anyone would buy it. And ever since then, that's what you've always done because you're superstitious. It's like fuck. He, he, she knows everything about me. She makes him light the match and it just goes up right there. She lets the book burn. She dumps water in it. I did notice one goof here that was burned inside the house and the flames were huge. Uh, dumps water on it. Instantly is taking the grill out of the room. Room's completely smoke free. Oh, yeah. I do like, though, of like, she didn't expect that, like, when you burn paper, it flies around and everything. Like, because at one point it goes into her, like, doily type of, like, window curtain thing and it catches on fire. And she's like, oh, oh, gosh. Oh, geez. (laughs) (laughs) The next day, he's given a wheelchair and an electric razor and a new workspace set up because she wants him to write Misery's Return. And I love how he, like, every once in a while is a little snarky with her. And every time she almost takes it, like, oh, you. Because yep. she's like, I, I got you an electric razor so you can shave yourself now. It's like, wow, if I, uh, you know, I'd be getting gifts like this, I'd burn all my first uh, first drafts. He's like, oh, you joking. <laughs> and she gives him a typewriter that's missing the letter N. I thought this was going to have some sort of significance, but it doesn't. But anytime you see his words, it's just missing the letter N in everything. It's one of those weird Stephen King things that here, like, put a tiny detail like that in for no reason. Like, it just, like, makes it, like, a brighter world, I would say, of, like, oh, that's just a little tiny detail that means nothing. But, like, yeah, he has to point it out. I know Stephen King is a big fan of Rob Reiner's adaptations of his work. Like, he loves Stand By Me. He liked Misery. He said Rob Reiner is one of the directors who can do it, like, perfectly well. So maybe it's just things like that, where, like, it was just a thing in the book to make the world lived in, but he included it, and Stephen King's all happy watching it. It's like, oh, look, he did my thing. (laughs) Kubrick who? Rob Reiner. Get him another platter of cheeseburgers. But uh, he pretends to be happy with this new workspace setup, but asks for different paper because this one smudges. He goes, what do you mean? I love you. Types the word smudge, smudge on the page and then takes his thumb across. It goes, see, and she does it. She goes, oh, okay. And then she just gets so angry. Like they're a married couple who's been fighting for so long. And she's been, he hasn't been pulling his weight around. Like, oh, I'll just go get your special paper. Never thankful <laughs> about anything. She's freaking out. 
but it too she's like well how can it be inferior this is the most expensive but also if she was such a huge fan wouldn't she know what kind of paper he writes on i have no idea i if i know would, how but i get what you're I, saying i know how kevin but smith had ever but would that have ever like come up for her to know? Like even if she's watched every interview, read everything he's ever done, like he's just say, "Yes, I use I don't know any paper brand, so Dunder Mifflin." Like I don't know. <laughs> well, do you, that had to come up in some kind of interview sometime or something, like some like real book nerd of like what kind what of paper do you use? Ass interviewer is asking this. It depends on how big of a fan you are. Some of our early interviews are rough, and we would never ask, what kind of paper do you use? Oh, never. That is, a, that is a good one if we ever have a writer on. Next time we have Dennis Paoli on, I'm going to ask him about paper. But she leaves, and he gets his hairpin that he knows fell on the floor. He picks the lock. I love that he's surprised it worked. Like, he's not a yeah. lock picker. Like, Holy shit, it works. Like, he's excited. Almost like the thing in the book works. Yep. <laughs> And he sneaks out, and he's wheeling around the house and everything. He almost knocks over this little, like, glass penguin statue and catches it and puts it back on. Does not notice that he put it on facing the wrong way. No. But thank God he didn't let the little penguin break. Cute little penguin. I know. Reminds me of intern's Corey, intern Corey's house. He has a bunch of little penguin statues in the living room. It makes yeah. me happy. Then he finds an autograph that, like, he must have sent out in fan mail or something from him. It says, best wishes, and, like, it's a headshot of him signed. And, you know, he's sitting there being like, I signed, like, 10,000 of those things. And she has it, like, in a shrine with, like, candles and shit. <laughs> Dude, I mean, like, half the shit that I have hung up in my wall. Yes, they. I'm sure they've signed a thousand of them. You're telling me what I'm looking at now, like, Linnea Quigley hasn't signed millions of return of the living dead posters but yeah it's hung up that was just special for you the one and only autograph oh, okay. yeah no, i'll take it <laughs> but what else she's coming back and he grabs all the pills that like she's been making him take he sees a bunch of them grabs a whole pack of them goes back into the room relocks it and everything she comes in and he's all sweaty because this is the most like physical activity he's had in quite some time and she's like, well, what's wrong? What's wrong? Let me get you back up. He goes, no, I need my pills. I need my pills now to get her to go out of the room so he can hide him better and everything before she puts him back in bed. I also love the little tiny detail of, like, he didn't notice the penguin, but did you, when he takes the pills, he makes sure to, like, pull them forward so it doesn't look like one's taken? I doubt he noticed which way the penguin was facing before he bumped into it. That's probably why. Well, every other figurine is facing out. Nope, the penguin faces, I think she says, like, due east or something. Oh, yeah. It has like I a... think she has them all set different directions. It has that's a specific how she knows. That's way. Her... That's her compass. She's like, ah, I see. They're like, she gets lost in the wilderness. She has her penguin. Yes. <laughs> a helicopter finds the car, and there's a press conference, and he's presumed dead. And but Oh, my when God. They're taking... This press conference is insane. The cops like, yeah, we found his car. His body's not in, and he must have wandered out into the woods and froze to death and died. So we we'll just have to wait until the uh, thaw comes, and then we can find the body, unless the animals got to it, which is probably likely. So we'll find him in pieces. It's like, what? Jesus, fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but. Buster notices the crowbar dents on the door. He's like, he didn't go out, at least not on his own. Someone got him out. Yeah. 
uh, back at the house, he's emptying the pill contents into like a little handmade envelope that he's created from the paper, and he goes to type, uh, he just types, fuck, 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 a bunch of times when he realizes <laughs> what his life has become, crumples it up, throws that away. Oh, because like I've been trying to work on like a project for Throbbing with Horror, and like anytime I've been getting a little bit into it, I'm just like I type a few words, and then I'm like, oh, fuck this, fucking, I don't know how to write, I speak. <laughs> Annie's talking to him about how she'd go see all the cliffhanger serials at the movie theaters, and she's real mad because one time the continuity didn't line up, and someone was like, but he didn't get out of the cock duty car before it exploded! And because he's she's mad at how he's going to write Misery coming back to life. Like, there was no blood transfusion mentioned <laughs> right. in the last book or anything like this. It has to be from the ground she was buried. This is so much me, once again, of, that's not how the last movie ended. Nuh-uh. No, he was not out of the car. He was inside the car. Car went off the cliff. And they're thinking, like, it doesn't really matter. Like, it's about, like, the story and the story progressing. No, but the details! <laughs> My parents have had to listen to this for decades. <laughs> oh, you don't think I've been listening to this for quite some time? <laughs> But he gives her the first chapters, and she loves it. She loves it so much, Brett, that she's going to go put on her Liberace records. And she's like, I love, she comes like spinning out of the room, holding the manuscript, and then she pops back in. You like Liberace, right? It's like, who do you think was always front row whenever he'd play New York City? And she's like, oh, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go grab my special copy of Misery real quick. <laughs> He asks Annie to have dinner with him tonight to celebrate Misery's return. And he's so smart, because if you just ask her to have dinner with him, she'd be suspicious. But in her mind, Misery coming back is such a big deal. Of course you're going to celebrate that. Also, this is, like, he called her, like, in, like, she's very, like, happy. She's, like, not thinking straight at the moment. Of If she thought for a minute, like, why does he want to have dinner with me? Because even at some point, she's like, I love you, but don't say you love me. I know it's not true kind of thing here she's like elated and she's like she's so overjoyed she's like of course i'll have dinner with my favorite author this is such a pleasure i didn't kidnap you <laughs> in her mind i don't think she thinks she did no it, no in her mind it's almost like a rehabilitation of like you're not writing correctly for paul allen so or paul sheldon so exactly they have dinner, they're having meatloaf, and they have a toast to misery. And You're like a man out of hell! <laughs> <laughs> he asks for candles, like to make it a candlelight dinner. She goes to get it, and he dumps all the pill powder that he's been collecting into her wine glass. Genius, he's gonna get out right here. Yeah, you think this is it. Also, I like the thing, like, he's, like, giving her wine, and then, like, he fills up the glass too much, because he's like, oh, no, because, like, she looks like the kind that has, like, a sip, and she's like, oh, I feel lightheaded. Yeah. Also, he's like, oh, you look amazing, and she looks like she's off the prairie, basically. <laughs> um, but she comes back with the candles and spills her drink. And then you know it has to be killing him, and he just has to smile through it. And he, but like he probably just wants to cry right now. Oh, the look on his face of just completely like the wind sucked out of you. Of like this was my big plan. I was going to knock her out. I don't know what the plan was after that. Just kill her or something. I don't know. But 
now it's over. And now I have to pretend like this was all still like a big happy surprise type thing. We have to smile yeah. through it. And because other than that, she's going to know something's up. Next, we get a typing and reading montage him making the chapters and her reading them. And... <laughs> I love the typing montage because it is, you know, Stephen King is just sitting there being like, oh, yeah, this is so epic and whatever. Look what I do. Look at all the genius flowing out of my fingers. It's just a guy typing away. This fades away back to him typing again. And now it's snowing. <laughs> but the important thing they show here is him like kind of rehabilitating his arm back and practicing lifting that typewriter over his head. Very smart. No, the entire time, like, he's a good, like, survivor type. Because how many of these ones, they, like, cower in the corner, all they do is cry. Yeah. Um, Annie brings him pills during a rainstorm. The rain always makes her f feel sad. And she's sad because she'll lose him. And he's like, why do you think you're going to lose me? <laughs> and then she just drops, I have this gun, and pulls a revolver out. She goes... Sometimes I think about using it. And right there, you just have to be like, oh, fuck, why does she have a gun? Like, oh, no, not you. Then she goes, like, she goes wandering out of the room, like, I might go put bullets in it. Then she drives away. Paul picks the lock again, because now shit's getting serious. He goes out to the kitchen and gets the knife from the knife block. Goes back into the room and there. Oh, no, oh. does. Goes and gets the knife from the knife block. On his way back to the room, though, he notices this open scrapbook that just says, like, memories or something. And he notices a newspaper article about his him being presumed dead, and then starts flipping through it, and we find what a fucking nut job she is. There's, like, the obituary for the husband, because she even mentioned, like, offhandedly of, like, sometimes my mind gets a little muddied up, like, when I was on the uh, stand in my husband's, like, court case or whatever. Then we see, like, she was a nurse, and there were some people that died at the hospital. Then she's killing babies. <laughs> yeah, dude, how... So she was, like, the head of the maternity ward or whatever, and all these babies kept dying. Like, their mortality rate was spiking, and she got arrested. Was she just a bad nurse, or was she purposely Whoa. killing the babies? Because if she was purposely killing the babies, how the fuck is she out of prison? That's like a life sentence true but no she definitely is doing it on purpose because i've heard of cases like this before of like and the same kind of thing where like i don't remember like a specific name or story but like the idea was like they kind of put the nurse on leave and the spike went down and as soon as she came back the spike went right back up so that's how they like found her out so this is like kind of in this is like kind of true-ish did you ever hear that story from that, like, uh, children's home in Tennessee where they were, like, purposely, well, they weren't killing the babies, but they were telling, like, the mothers who were pregnant that the baby died and that they mm. never got to see the dead babies. And then they were, like, selling them to rich people, like, adopting babies and everything. And, like, this was going on for so long until they noticed why is this hospital having such a high mortality rate and they busted the whole operation and everything. Did you ever see that story? No, that's insane. Ric Flair was one of them. Like, the wrestler Ric Flair, he was one of the babies who was, like, said was dead and then was adopted by people. Like, it's fucking insane, like, the connection. But yeah, like, he was part of that case and everything. Like, you're, um, like, parents looking for, like, a black market baby, and you're well, just like... I black don't... market or anything. They were legally adopted, but, like, they were making all the money off the adoption but, fees and everything. No, I think they go to an alleyway and they open up a van, or it's one of those guys with the trench coat and he opens it up <laughs> with babies. 
lining the trench coat. And they're like, I don't know which one I want. And the one baby goes, well, it's like, I want that one. <laughs> the baby drops, like, chest drops the person. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Completely fucking lost for word. The gun, okay. But yeah, so he, he's freaked out, obviously, after finding this scrapbook. And he goes back into the bedroom, as you would, stashes the knife under the bed. Wakes up in the middle of the night and she's standing over him and just injects him. I like he get he's laying in bed and he has the knife like in his like arm sling and he's he's like practicing like pulling it out real quick and stabbing her. And then yeah. like he he she comes home and he sees her like stand at like the doorway because you can see the shadow under the door crack or whatever. And then he's like, okay, let's get ready. And then she walks away and he's like okay tomorrow morning i guess so he puts the knife away that's when he like wakes up and she he gets drugged and she's all like manic looking yep in the morning she's standing above him in bed and she knows he was out twice i knew the last time because my penguin was facing the wrong way so she knew the first time he got out and everything just never said anything and she has his knife and knows he read the scrapbook and everything oh the things you must think of me and says you just need more time. You're healing too quickly. And then she talks about hobbling, which was this practice like these diamond miners would use on natives who tried to steal from them and everything, where they would cripple them, but they could still use their hands and everything. And so she puts this block of wood between both of his ankles. He's tied down, takes a sledgehammer, and just breaks it. You only see the first one. The second one, you get the reaction. Yes. Oh my god, it's a simple effect. It's a rubber leg. Holy shit, though, is it just hard to look at. God's sake. It's for the best. Hey, please! Almost done. This is, like, the scene of the movie. This is the, like, scene that everyone knows is her, like, breaking his ankles with the sledgehammer. And like you said, like, so many people, it's almost like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre syndrome of everyone swears they see the meat hook go through her, but in the original, you don't remake has a no, lot you of saw, hooks you saw his ankle go twisting no, up over that look, board you saw the first one but then everyone's like oh then they do the second ankle and it's like even more brutal but yeah you don't even see the set, second ankle you just hear it so it's like whatever you make up in your mind is gonna be way worse i think this is smart because there's always two choices to go when you have a scene like this you either show the action happening or you show the person's reaction since she's doing both ankles, you get the best of both worlds. You see that ankle break on the first one, and then the second one, you get his reaction shot to it. And then just the so, just such a fucked up, it's like such a simple line, but how she does it and like the situation they're in where she holds up the sledgehammer and she's like, I love you. And that way of just like that, like, she, you know, she feels the deep love and she like yeah. thinks that she's helping him, but she's just so fucked up. She doesn't know. <laughs> Later on, Buster is at the station, and she sees he sees Annie outside road raging at someone calling him a cock duty or something. And I think he just, like, I don't think there's much work besides, like, yeah, she's fucking weird. She could be someone who has someone kidnapped. But I think he also knew her home was close to the crash site. Then he goes and, like, looks back at all of her articles and everything. Like, yeah, she definitely fits someone who could be doing this. Goes to the general store, asks about last time she was in. No, oh, just buying her normal stuff. She buys all the uh, Paul Sheldon books, makes me put the first one away for her, 
buy anything else weird? Uh, she bought a bunch of printing, typing paper, and then he's been reading the Paul Sheldon books just in case he can find any hints or anything. Re remembers a quote he read in the book is also a quote that she said at her court case, like about the innocent or something, and he recognizes, oh shit, she's quoting a Paul Sheldon book when she was on trial, and all these things start lining up for him. Yeah, the, the shit, this old uh, small town sheriff is doing such an amazing job all by himself. Because the whole time his wife is just giving him shit, basically. Of like, oh, you're just excited to be able to like have a phone call, basically. <laughs> but yeah, it's like piecing it together. I love the shopkeep. It's like, oh, nothing out of the ordinary unless you think paper's out of the ordinary. And like, that's when it clicks. And then the shopkeep's like, what? Is she in trouble? Is something happening? Like, nope, nothing at all. Right to fucking, I'm going right out there. <laughs> yep. He starts driving to the house, and Paul looks out and sees him coming. Oh, wait, I love right before this, though, because Annie's outside with the pig misery, and she waves <laughs> at Paul, and he just flips her off through the window, because now he's not even pretending he likes her after the ankle incident, and she goes, oh, you, and like, just waves him off. And the goes, like, running, playing with her pig more. <laughs> But he looks out the window and he sees the sheriff coming to the house. And he's start, he's like, oh shit, I'm finally saved. She comes busted in the room with the needle ready to drug him again. He's fighting her off and everything. She drugs him, drags him to the basement, puts him down, hides the wheelchair. The basement's kind of like a hidden door too. Like you press on it to open it up and everything. Yeah, like it's a cool. Scooby -Doo, like a Scooby-Doo door. But you know he has to be like, yes, I might possibly be saved. And then, like, here she comes barreling in. It's like, oh, fuck, god damn it. And she comes in with a steel chair. <laughs> Sheriff goes to the door, and I know he's asking her, what do you know about Paul Sheldon? Not realizing who he is asking. And she starts rattling off, well, he was born and weighed five pounds, eight <laughs> out, like, basically like that. But it's also really smart of her to be like, well, I'm known as this huge super fan. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, Paul Sheldon? Who who's that again? Was yeah, he a movie star? That. No, like she plays it right, and then she's like, because then she's like, oh, where are my manners? Let me invite you in, and she comes in, and he's like, oh, let me show you my writing station. Oh, I can't believe Paul Sheldon is dead. I'm such a huge fan. I'm trying to write like him, but I just can't quite get it. Yeah, that's why I'm typing all these words, and it it's another misery book. That's why. Yep, explains the book, explains why she's buying the paper, the typewriter, everything. And she insists on going to get him some cocoa. And I love, she walks out of the room where Paul's been kept and like goes back to the kitchen. Sheriff's still in the room. He looks around the corner and she looks around the corner at the same time. <laughs> and then she laughs it off, goes back in. And then he ducks back in and looks around again. I wanted it to happen like four more times. Like they kept like peekaboo. It happened twice. And then finally the <laughs> sheriff kind of gives a look of like, hi. And she's like, okay, I'll be right back. And then soon as she dips around the corner to the kitchen, he's right upstairs. Yeah, but there's nothing really upstairs to find, to be honest. She shows up behind him, just offering the cocoa. He doesn't take it. I'm pretty sure it's drugged. Like, it's definitely drugged, but he doesn't take any of it. And they're like, okay, well, I'll talk to you some other time. Maybe I'll stop up another day. He's like, oh, now that you know the way to go. To show up here, that'd be great. He's walking out. Paul's coming to in the basement and grabs the grill that was used to burn the book and knocks it over, makes a real loud bang with it and everything. He thinks that Annie's fallen or something. So turns around, goes in, and is like, are you okay? Are you okay? And then hears, I'm down here. Finds the hidden basement door, opens it up. Paul's at the bottom. And he's like, 
You got a helmet. Paul Sheldon? Then, holy shit, dude. A point-blank shotgun blast through Buster's back. Just blam! It's, like, right in the middle, too. So, it's, like, and it's such a big hole. It's, like, his spine is gone. Yeah. Like, if, if this had been, like, a gorier movie, you would have seen him, like, slunk over kind of thing into, like, a human puddle because his spine isn't there anymore. But it's just, like, yeah. oh, poor Buster. Man, he was trying. Because even, like, he uh, opens the door and Paul's at the bottom of the stairs. He's, like, Paul? Like, he's, like, oh, all my hunches were right. I can't wait to tell my wife. I was, I was sad for Buster's fate. I really liked him. I like Buster. I'm going to find was... Rob Reiner and make him write a movie where Buster comes back. <laughs> I Misery was amazing, but you killed Buster. No cheeseburgers. <laughs> that's that's us hobbling him as we take his cheeseburgers away. <laughs> then Annie comes down the steps. And like I put two bullets on my gun. One for you, one for me. And starts going off. She says, I love you to him. And for the first time, he goes, I love you too. And then she pauses for a minute. He starts going on, but we can't end this now. We have work to do. We must finish the book. And she's like, oh, good point. He goes, and then we'll do this as soon as the book is done. At dawn, he grabs lighter fluid on the way up, too. Like, he's has a plan. Oh, yeah, he's very crafty. I like how he's always just grabbing shit, whatever's near him. Where he's like, because she's about to kill him. And his whole thing is like, I'm about to give misery back to the entire world. Don't you want that? And she's like, but people will be coming now. It's like, yes, but I'm almost done. By the morning, misery will be alive again. And then like it's every page he writes, like as soon as he puts it down, she's like grabbing it up and reading it. Like, oh, Paul. And she's back to like twirling around with the manuscript. And like, she's back in this like fairy tale land. And then when he's almost done, he says, you know, the three things I need, because his ritual when he finishes every book, cigarette, match and bottle of champagne. She goes out and gets it for him and everything comes back. He goes, well, we're going to need two glasses. She's all happy that she gets to share this ritual with him. She leaves for the other glass. And because he grabbed the lighter fluid, he pours it all over the finished pages he's done and then takes the page he just wrote, crumples it up like he's going to. I didn't know what he was doing at first, but this is genius mm-hmm. with the person he's dealing with. Oh, it's so great because he's like, you know, the like long lost father of misery and we never knew what would happen to him. It's in these pages. Who does misery marry? Is it Eli or the other guy? It's in these pages. I know that you care. And because she's like, oh, my world. And he just lights it on fire and then lights the rest of the book on fire because he has the match and the lighter fluid and she's freaking out about it and everything. And she bends down to like beat the flame out and he picks up the typewriter. Like we saw him practicing with and his cracks are on the back of the head with it and everything. And then the fight happens, which is such a awesome idea of his, of to use the typewriter as the weapon. Cause she doesn't even think of that as like something that, cause she finds the knife and takes that away from him. And you know, she probably went through the room, anything that's blunt or like sharp or anything. She like cleared out of the room kind of thing. The typewriter, she probably just thinks is like a piece of furniture. It's like, oh, he's not strong enough to lift that kind of thing, maybe. Because she's like, even she carries it in and it's like super fucking heavy. And she talks about it's like this antique typewriter and stuff. Not expecting that great, like, cool final blow weapon-ish. Definitely. 
then they're fighting. He gets shot, like, in the shoulder. Then he's clawing at her face. She's bleeding everywhere and everything. And then he grabs the burning pages and goes, You want it? Eat it! Choke on it! He's shoving, like, burned up paper into her mouth. It's like, choke on it, you sadistic bitch! And she, yeah, he's, like, shoving, like, choking her with, like, his, like, the manuscript she cares so much about. And she's, like, spitting everywhere. She's a mess. Like, good on Kathy Bates for not going, like, oh, well, I don't want to get all messy and stuff. I want to stay kind of nice. It's, sometimes you hear of that from different actors and stuff. Yeah. But they don't want to do, like, pretty stuff. She gets fucking in there. I love Kathy Bates. Dude, she's had a good relationship with horror. Like, she did all those American Horror Story seasons, like, later in her career and everything. She doesn't seem like she's ever been one of those ones, like, that thought badly about the genre or anything. No, I need to, I think I need to watch those at some point. I've heard some seasons are better than others. Most definitely. Please come see me before you dive into it. (laughs) But... He trips her, and her head cracks on the typewriter. Looks like a death blow. Dude, they give her the Chucky Terminator thing, though. (laughs) Holy shit, but she just keeps coming back. Well, this is also, like, remember in the Night of the Living Dead remake when Johnny falls on the tombstone Bill Mosley, and it's obviously a horrible dummy? This one, it's like, you can tell it's a dummy, but it's really well done. Well, this is a much bigger budget and everything, I think, than they had for that. Yeah, but even that, it's like, you had Savini, come on, you do a better dummy than what we got in that, and it holds on it for too long, too. Yeah. He crawls away, but she comes back for one final scare attack. Careful. This is the moment when the supposedly dead killer comes back to life for one last scare. And jumps on the back of him and everything. He grabs this metal, like, pig statue thing and cracks her in the forehead, and you can just see it's caved in, like, the perfect indent mm-hmm. of the statue on her forehead, so you yeah. know this is the killing blow. And I love that, yeah, he whacks her in the head with it, and then she has that, like, split second of where she's, like, doesn't know where she's at at all. She, her, like, mind, like, her face is just, like, gone kind of thing. It's just, like, and then she falls over on top of him, and he's almost like, oh, he's, like, roll off of her. <laughs> then 18 months later... He has a lunch meeting with his agent and everything. He has a cane now. James Kane. And <laughs> the experience helped him be a better writer, he thinks. But he's like, I still see her. I know she's dead. And you see her coming over with a knife, pushing a bunch of cake. But it's a waitress. And like he's like, oh, okay, it's fine. She goes, are you, are you Paul Sheldon? I'm your number one fan. And then credits. So he gives like a little like, uh-huh. Like a little nod of like, uh-huh. Did you? Do, did you not hear my story then of what happened last time I met a number one fan? Yeah. Like, even if you were a fan of this guy, I would like... Don't say that phrase. You'd never say that phrase, and if anything, it was just like a, nod, like a little knowing like nod across the room of just like, I know who you are. Good job. Never approach this guy ever again. It's like, yes. would you sign this? Because he might snap and like fucking bash you over the thing with a pig statue. You don't know. Exactly. <laughs> But yeah, that was Misery. It's a fun fucking movie. Oh, I love Misery so much. I'm glad that we finally got to cover this. Also very fitting, because uh, in the middle of recording this, Greg and I are going through our snowstorm right now. Yeah, mine's picking up pretty bad right now. Yeah, ours arrived. Um, I'm just so glad we finally got to do Misery. This is one that I wanted to do for a while, and I was like, oh, I'll put it off, put it off. Finally got to do it. So glad. Yeah, I mean only 250 some episodes in yeah all right um you ready for some call of the dead 
Yeah, let's get into the count of the dead. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. The throbbing with horror count of the dead is where we tally up all the deaths in the movie. I really like your odds. Where do you think we got with Misery? Two? You are correct, my friend. We got two. Yeah. Because it was like getting near the end of the movie. And I was like, I'm pretty sure at least like one person dies. I was like, I'm pretty sure she dies at the end. I was like, is this going to be like a one? I was like, no, we got Buster. But I wish it would have been a one because a poor Buster. Yeah, yeah I, right. I'm not happy about Buster dying. That's great. Scout of the Dead. Ah, ah, ah. Now we're getting into my ratings from Dimension Z. So basically, I'll take something from the movie and rate the movie 1 through 10, 1 being the worst and 10 being the best. Now come up with that thing right now. So we played with this idea a few times because Kevin Smith broke my heart. Um, of if I was in this situation, it would be me and Kevin Smith, basically. So it's going to be that same situation. It's I'm Kathy Bates and he's James Caan and he's okay. laying in bed and I go, Kevin, you need to redo Clerks 3. And then what's the outcome of this? For me, a number one outcome is I get brained in the hallway by Kevin Smith with a pig statue and I die. Yeah. Number 10 is he sees the error of his ways and goes, <laughs> I am so sorry that I killed one of your favorite characters in all of movies. Someone That's why you have the facial hair that you have. You've told me that many times where I'm laying here in bed. Um, and he somehow retroactively deletes Clerks 3 and writes a new good one. He just says it's not canon. It's an Elseworlds tell. Yeah, and he writes the real Clerks 3, and Dante is fine, and him and Rosario Dawson have a wonderful child, and they have a fun quick-stop adventure again like it should have been. Release the Brett gut. Yes. Poor Randall. Best friend dies. I don't want, it's like if Greg died. I don't want Greg to die. He'll make her hang out with then. Why am I dying? Because you're my Randall. I do have the heart condition. <laughs> um... I fucking love Misery so much. I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10. I'm not sure what that one thing would be that keeps it from a 10. But I really like it a lot. Like, I, it's a really well done story, I think. There's not really any of those, like, dumb character moments of, like, I don't know, Paul Sheldon does something stupid or, like, uh, Annie doesn't like find the knife and she gets stabbed and that's how she dies or something like it's really a well-crafted movie I think so I love it nine uh nine I feel like I've been throwing these out lately I've given this one a straight up 10 I think this is a perfect movie nice like, good 100% I don't I can't find any flaws in it whatsoever to be honest like usually you know I'll be picking at these things throughout this whole episode I don't have anything on this one it's great no, Misery is just so much fun. Like, this is one that, like, I don't know why I have so much time in between watching it. I want to watch it again. It's not really, like, a watch all the time, because it's so drama, like, that kind driven and stuff. Those ones aren't usually, like, watch it again right away. That one's usually for stuff with, like, more visual, wild, crazy shit happening that you'll watch it again right away. This is that slow burn, like, really great movie. Similar to, like, a Hereditary or something like that. Yeah. Where, yeah, I won't watch it again right away, but I love it. Oh yeah, this is one that I I only own it on VHS as well. Like I need to get like the Blu-ray or something of this. Yeah. This would be a good movie to like you know how I'm trying to with um 
was it a uh, vampire's kiss i'm trying to i have it on vhs and dvd i want to find it on laser disc and i need a blu-ray and 4k if it's that i want to own like every version that'd be a yeah. good one for this of course unless you have anything else man no that's all i got all right well we hope that misery has left your brain throbbing with horror This brings to close another episode of Throbbing with Horror. But fret not, friends. Another episode will be coming next week. Same time, same place. Be sure to check us out on all the social medias. Just look for the Throbbing with Horror Pumpkin wherever you find your quality social media.